Good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I've got good news for you. If you're here this Sunday, you get extra credit because it is Memorial Day weekend. So extra crowns in heaven or something like that. That may not be theologically appropriate. Don't tell Andy I said that. Um, Anyway, one announcement before we jump in this morning. Uh, June 1st for, for youth, your forms are due for the camping trip. So if you haven't turned those in yet, please go ahead and do that. June 1st, that is this Wednesday, I believe. So bring them with you to youth group or parents. Maybe you should hand deliver them uh, rather than giving them to your youth and letting them. But anyway, so get those in. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be... Uh, looking at verses 5 through 15. We looked at verse 5 and 6 last week as part of that sermon as well, but it really serves to set up the context for today's teaching. And so we're going to cover those real quick once again. And I love that we're getting to cover this passage on a family worship Sunday when all of their kids are in here. My kids are over here on the front row, so it should be nice and loud and adventurous this morning. But uh, one of the big things that we do as families, one of the, the main ways that we can contribute to the spiritual growth and development of our children is to pray with and for them. And that's what we're looking at today is the, is the Lord's Prayer. From, from a young age, we as the Rayleigh family, or young age from our kids, uh, for our kids, we um, have taught them to pray. And we've given them real simple language to use while they pray Uh, basically as soon as they could talk. And so it started off, dear God, I love you, amen. Something real simple, something that they can remember. And then it progressed to, dear God, I love you, thank you for loving me, amen. And it was, dear God, I love you, thank you for loving me, I trust you. And we introduced this concept of what it means to really trust God, amen. And uh, yeah, it was just a really good way of kind of giving them vocabulary to say, and then they began to add their own things to it. One of my favorites was when uh, my son, uh, (laughs) when my son began to add, dear God, I love you, thank you for loving me, I trust you, give me presents, amen. It was like, okay, all right, give me presents, amen. I left it alone, though, because I want our kids to know that like, they can bring their requests and their hearts to the Lord honestly and openly and, and not sort of shut that down. Now, it got worse, though, with our third, Piper. I think she was the first one to pray this. Uh, Dear God, I love you. I trust you. Uh, thank you for loving me. Um, I want a magic kingdom and a magic pony. Amen. And it's like, okay, we, we're going a little too far there. She's asking for like her own kingdom, and it's like, ah, that's not good theology. So uh, we did correct that part, but uh, as they got older, we started to teach them the Lord's Prayer. And um, it's, it's really rich and really deep and something that's recited in churches all across the nation just all the time on a Sunday morning. But we want to take a little bit of a closer look. Uh, one evening, I, I remember <laughs> gathering the kids after bed, and we had just read our Bible story, and I said, all right, do you guys want to pray uh, just free prayer? Do you guys just want to take turns praying or, or do we want to all sort of talk about our requests and what's going on in our hearts and what we desire and need from the Lord or what we want to say to him or, you know, do you guys just want to pray the Lord's prayer? And, and my son, again, says, I want to pray the eagle prayer. I was like, okay, kid moment, right? What's the eagle prayer, buddy? Uh, Dad, you know what the eagle prayer is. And I, I play a lot of jokes on my kids, like a lot of jokes on my kids. And so when I ask them a question, they always think I'm just kidding. He's like, Dad, you know the eagle prayer. I'm like, no, no, really, buddy, I don't know the eagle prayer. So finally I convince him I don't know the eagle prayer. And he's like, you know, deliver us from the eagle one. 
And it's in that moment I realized I had traumatized our children with the Lord's Prayer because they thought I was praying against, like, eagles who wished to do us harm and praying that the Lord would keep them from snatching us up and taking us away. So um, it was a teaching opportunity and, and, and a, an adorable teaching opportunity. But we've got a, a teaching opportunity, a learning opportunity today. I asked my son if I could share that story, and he said yes and then no. And so anyway, uh, so but we've got a, a learning opportunity this morning as we stop and ask the question, what do we learn from the Lord's Prayer? Like, how does that transform us? How does that shape us? How does it work in our hearts? So let's read the passage together. And, uh, yeah, then we'll, we'll jump right in. As I told the first service, my sermon's too long, so if it feels like I'm moving fast, ask me afterwards, uh, whatever question you have. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A better translation there is from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Excuse me. With, with this prayer... Jesus is teaching his disciples about the very essence of what it means to pray. And he's going to do it by pushing back against some of the common misconceptions of his day. And he's going to invite us to pray in a way that pleases God, but also transforms us, changes us. As Andy has mentioned over the last couple of weeks, the thesis statement of the whole Sermon on the Mount uh, some have said is, is, is chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And so there's been this question, what is a righteousness that's greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees? And the answer is a righteousness of the heart. Very good, a righteousness of the, of the heart. Jesus' teaching on prayer here works to shape our hearts in the direction of that kind of righteousness, one that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So how does it do that? How does the way Jesus taught us about prayer and the way Jesus taught us to prayer, how does his teaching lead us toward a righteousness of the heart? That's our big question today. And here's the, the first part of the answer. First, Jesus teaches us that prayer is communion with the Father. Before getting into prayer, Jesus offers a couple of negative commands. And I, I don't like to preach negative commands, but like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But Jesus does it, so he's a better preacher than I am. So uh, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Our prayers as Christians are to be fundamentally different than the prayers of the world. Fundamentally different than those Jesus calls a hypocrite. Fundamentally different than those that Jesus calls a Gentile or back then basically synonymous with a pagan. And they're to be different not just in the words that we say, not just in the places where we pray, not just in how we sort of outline our prayers, but they're to be different 
at a heart level. They're different with our very, from our very motivation of why we pray the way that we do. The deep-rooted motivation for prayer should be intimacy with the Father. It's knowing God more fully, knowing him more, more clearly, knowing him more experientially in our own lives. And the, the hypocrites and the pagans, they have taken a good thing, prayer, and mixed it up with their wrong motivations and their misunderstanding of God, and it's become something very different. Right? Like it might look like prayer, it might sound like prayer, it might be called prayer, but it, it's not prayer. At least not prayer in the way that Jesus conceives of prayer. It's far from it. So here's two negative examples that I want to give you. What prayer is not, based on Jesus' correction. Number one, prayer is communion with the Father, not an outward display of personal piety. The hypocrites, Jesus talks about, are motivated by being seen praying by others. Right? Back in the first century, it was very common. Uh, they would pray, the Jews would pray morning and evening, during the morning sacrifices and during the evening sacrifices. Wherever you were in your day, whatever it was that you were doing, you would stop right there and pray. So if you're at work, you would stop and pray. If you're in a gathering like this, you would, would stop and, and pray. It was a way of uh, engaging in spirit with what the priests were doing in the temple. Okay? Well, the, the, the hypocrites, what they would do is they would say, oh, the hour of prayer is getting near. Where should I be? Where do I want to make sure I, I know? I'm going to make sure I'm at the street corner. Hold on, let me get... Dear God, or oh, let me go make sure I'm in the synagogue so that people can see me praying, dear God. And, and, and they wanted people to look at them and think, oh, look at those guys. Look how holy they are. Look how righteous they are. God must be really impressed with these guys. Look, look at their prayer. Look at the way that they're praying. Wow, there is, oh, this is amazing. They must be really tight with God. Jesus is not impressed at all. He's not at all impressed by this. Because their motivation is the praise of others, not communion with the Father, not intimacy with the Father. So Jesus says, very simply, first take home to stick in your pocket, don't be like the hypocrites. That was easy, right? Moving on. Next. Prayer is communion with the Father, not an extended incantation for God to do our bidding. While the hypocrites made sure that they were seen while they prayed, the pagans would pray these long extended prayers supposing that they could get the gods on their side if they prayed for long enough, if they prayed impressively enough, if they bugged the gods enough, whatever it was they had to do, they would just heap on praises and phrases and all this stuff, trying to get the gods to do their bidding, trying to get God to be on their side. And Jesus comes along with this correction. He's like, don't pray like the, like the Gentiles do. God already knows what you need. He's fully aware. You're not telling him something new. Not only are you not telling him something new, you're not talking him into being on your side. Like, God is for you. You don't have to talk him into it. The guy already wants to give you what you need. So don't be like the pagans. Don't heap on thinking, if I, if I just get the right formula, maybe God will do what I want him to do. Jesus says, no, God knows what you need. Don't be like a hypocrite. Don't be like a pagan. Don't miss the point of prayer. Prayer is communion with the Father. It's drawing near to the one who meets us in secret, like Jesus says, the opposite of praying like a hypocrite. It's expressing our needs to the one that we know already knows what we need, and it's an act of worship in that moment because we're acknowledging God as the giver, God as provider. And it's this communion with the Father, this communion in secret, this communion in deep and meaningful prayer, expressing our need on him, that's where God does the work inside of us to transform us into the likeness of Christ. It's one of the ways 
that we're made more like Jesus when we sit in the presence of God for the sole purpose of communion and fellowship with him. That's when he works in our hearts. That's when he speaks truth to our brokenness. That's when he heals us, one of the times at least. And it's in prayer, we've talked about this righteousness of the heart. It's in prayer that the ember of righteousness, the ember of heart righteousness is fanned into a flame by the Spirit of God. Right, like it's those moments where he grows you exponentially in your heart righteousness. We've said in this series that the Lord cares more about who you are than what you do, right? Well, prayer is one of the ways that Jesus changes who you are. He makes you into the kind of person he wants you to be. It's a workout of those spiritual muscles that grows your capacity to be able to enjoy and love and commune with the Father. In prayer, he draws us near and he changes us from the inside out. So how does it do that? How does prayer change us? Well, there are two big ways that prayer, like Jesus taught us, transforms us. And we're going to look at each of these. And I take these from the, the sections of the way Jesus taught us to pray. I think they're intentional. I think the way Jesus structures his prayer, when he says, pray like this, I think he means something along the lines of pray like this, like similar to it. It doesn't have to be that all the time. It doesn't have to be rote. You don't have to, yeah, you know what I'm saying. All right, so how does it transform us? First of all, praying like Jesus taught us realigns our hearts with God's. Have you ever been on a boat in rough seas? In the first service, only three people had ever been on a boat in their lives because I didn't get any nodding heads. Anybody ever been on a boat? A little bit rough, a little bit choppy? What happens when you first get on the boat? How do you feel about it? It's like, <laughs> right? And then what happens after you've been on the boat for a little while? Feeling pretty good, right? You're just kind of going along with it. Feels fine. Then you go back home, you get back on the dock, and you're walking to your car, and how do you feel? Like you're still on the boat, right? You got your sea legs. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous, right? You can, yeah, you can just go ahead and say it. You feel like you're still moving, and it takes a while for your body to recalibrate to being on land. When we're, the, the same thing can happen to us when we pray. Think about your daily life. You're flying through it, right? You're going from one thing to the next. You're uh, trying to put out fires with your children, fighting with each other. You're trying to get dinner on the table. You're trying to get on to that next work meeting. You're trying to have a little bit of time to just sit down for a minute and breathe, and you're just on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And what happens is we get our sea legs according to our life, right? Like we're, we're moving, moving, moving. And then all of a sudden when you slow down and you stop, what happens? Your body stops, but your mind has got its sea legs according to the world, right? Like your mind stays in motion. It keeps on moving. And so you stop and quiet yourself to pray, but boy, your brain isn't quite ready to stop yet. But the way Jesus taught us to pray slows us down. It takes the sea legs that our heart has from the world and it, it recalibrates us to the steady shore of God's heart, right? It, it, it slows down all the motion and the commotion that's going on inside of us. So how does prayer do that? Well, first of all, it realigns our hearts by grounding us in who God is and in who we are. Notice the way the prayer begins. <clears throat> our Father in heaven. The identity of God is up first and foremost. And is it my father? Is it just father? What does he say? Our father. We're grounded first and foremost in the family of God. Our father. We are a spiritual family and we have one good dad, one who is close to us like a father, who loves us, who draws near to us, 
But he's not just any father. He's a really good one. And he's our father who is where? In heaven, right? He's our father in heaven. So you have these two ideas juxtaposed right there next to each other. Our father, the one who is near to us and who loves us and who cares about us and who will take care of us. And the father who is in heaven, the one who has all authority, who has all sovereignty, who has all power, who has all say, who holds all of human existence in his very hands at every single moment. And that is the one that we get to stop and say, our dad, right? Like our, our father together. So he grounds us in who God is and in who we are. Next, prayer like Jesus teaches us realigns our hearts by pointing us to God's supreme worth and value right after addressing God as Father, the very next statement, hallowed be your name. And this is, this is as much a statement as it is a request. God, would you make your name and your great worth and your supreme value to be known and glorified among us? Lord, you are worthy of all praise and all honor. And would you make that happen in my life and in the life of those who along with me say, our Father, hallowed be your name. Make your name to be great. I have a tendency when I sit down to pray, once I've quieted myself for those uh, 38 seconds before the next request comes in from a kid, uh, right? Like you, you stop for just a minute and I just, I, I, I'm overwhelmed by all the stuff that's going on in here and all the stuff that I'm seeing going on out here is in like on the news and stuff. And I'm just overwhelmed and I launch into all of these needs and all of these wants and all this injustice that I see and all this stuff that God wants me to do. And my mind is concerned with circumstances on the ground. It's consumed with it. C.S. Lewis called this steam of consciousness prayer. Not stream of consciousness, steam of consciousness. And what he says is, you go to God and you're boiling on the inside, right? And so when you finally stop for a minute, what happens? You're just, you're just blowing off steam. You're just blowing off steam because of all the junk that's going on in here. And so you just rattle on and on. And, and yes, it is good. God wants you to be able to come to him and steam about the boiling that's going on inside of you. He absolutely does. But the way Jesus taught us to pray, to pray will not let our prayers go there first. Right? It won't let that be the only thing that we pray about, and it won't let it be the first thing that we pray about, because we start by praying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. It anchors us in the very nature of God, in the glory of God. We can't just rush past the character of God. We center ourselves on it and pray for him to be glorified in our lives. Next, teaching or praying like Jesus taught us to pray realigns our hearts by setting our hope on God's perfect reign in his kingdom. The very next line of the prayer, your kingdom come. Despite all that steam that rises up whenever you come to the Father, what followers of Jesus ultimately long for is for the kingdom of God to be realized. I've heard it said that essentially every prayer is a prayer for the kingdom of God to come, and that it is in the kingdom of God fully realized that every prayer for healing every prayer for wholeness, every prayer for God to set things right, every injustice that we want corrected, all of that will be fixed when? When the kingdom of God is fully realized in our, in our midst. When God is fully our king, right? Like when we are with him, when he is here with us. And I think that that's true. 
two of the things that I've been praying about this week. Um, you've certainly seen it in the news. Shooting down in Texas. Lots of people killed. On top of that news that the, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States has been covering up rampant abuse for years and years and years. Some 700 people that have been known abusers have been allowed to continue to lead God's church. And those who they have propped up as, as the great shepherds of the denomination, and I can say all of this because I come from a Southern Baptist seminary, from a Southern Baptist church, like we've been in it our whole life kind of thing. They have paraded as shepherds, but they turned out to be wolves. And our hearts break. We see shootings and we see people being abused in the church. And it's like, God, what do we do? And we come and we, we pray, God, would you be with the victims? Would you comfort the families? Would you put an end to violence? Would you restore your church and her holiness? Restore her witness in this world? Every single one of those prayers is a different iteration of God, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Because until his kingdom comes, we will have those issues. We'll have those problems. Finally, Praying like Jesus taught us realigns our hearts by directing us from God's will to our good, to his good and perfect will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray like Jesus taught us, we can't get away elevating our own plan or agenda. His prayer forces us to come to terms with what should be our true and perfect desire. That the will of God be accomplished here on earth just as fully and as perfectly as it is in heaven. So when we pray, we can't go to God with, God, here's my will, here's my life plan, here's my next five years, here's how I want it mapped out, here's what I want to happen next, here's the house I want to live in, here's the job I want to have, here's the spouse I want to have, here's what I want my kids to do. All right, God, get to it. No, he stops us before any requests for ourselves. Did you notice nothing has been us focused yet in these prayers? Every request that has been made has been geared towards the Father. Your will be done. Not mine. Your will. We're getting to a point here in just a second where, he, where Jesus says, here, here's how you make your requests. Like here, here's how you come to me with your stuff. But before you get to your stuff, you've got to stop and realign your heart with mine. Because it's only once your heart is realigned with God's heart that you can make requests in a proper way. It's only when your hearts align with God's heart that your prayer is different than the hypocrites or the pagans, simply wanting God to do their bidding. The second way that praying like Jesus shapes us is this. Praying like Jesus taught us acknowledges our complete dependence on him. The prayer of Jesus reminds us that self-reliance is a myth. We live in a culture today where self-reliance is like the top value. Being a self-made man or self-made woman is one of our culture's highest values. And Jesus comes and he smacks that value in the face and he says, sit down. You depend on me for everything. You depend on God for everything. It's a myth. It's a sham. Self-reliance will harm you. So we come to 
the Father in prayer like Jesus taught us. Lord, we depend on you for everything. We need you for everything that we have, for everything that we need. We, we sit at his feet as children of the Most High with hearts that are aligned with his, and then we start to make our needs known, and we say, God, we need you. And while he already knows what we need, this is an act of worship. We're worshiping him when we pray like this. He's saying, God, what I need, I depend solely on you to provide. I don't depend on myself. I don't depend on my own natural gifting or skills. I don't depend on my job. I don't depend on this culture. I don't depend on the news. I don't even depend on my spouse to give me what I need. I depend on you, God, and you alone to give me what it is that I need. And so we pray first for daily sustenance. Give us this day our daily bread. Now certainly here, bread means more than bread. Okay, anybody pray for bread this morning? I didn't. I'm preaching on this passage, right? Like I didn't pray for bread. But what, what Jesus is, is meaning here when he says bread is your, your daily sustenance, everything you need to live, everything that you truly need. That's what we come to the Father for. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And from this, I, I gather at, at least two things. Number one, God cares about the most mundane areas of your life. He cares about those little things that you're like, ah, I don't want to pray about that. Like, that just seems so trivial and so small and so minuscule. Like, I'm not going to pray about that. Well, Jesus says pray about bread. Bread's a pretty basic thing for humans. Number two, I notice in this, we're not praying for a huge salary or the dream job, or the big house, or the nice car, or the fancy clothes, or all the comfort and leisure in the world. What do we pray? God, just give me bread. Give me the things that I need to sustain me in life such that I can honor and glorify and relate to you and to your people, and I will be happy with that. If you choose to bless me beyond that, wonderful and fantastic, and I think everyone in this room can acknowledge we have been richly blessed above and beyond bread and daily needs. But that's what we pray for. That's what we pray for. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, praying for even the mundane daily provision may seem trivial, and yes, it might, but precisely, but it is precisely what children do when they love and trust the one they call Father. And so when we come and say, God, give me my daily bread, when our pantry at home is stocked with bread, what we're saying is I need you for everything. I need you for all of it. I need you for everything that I need, and I trust you as my good Father to provide. I trust you as my good dad, and I love you as my good dad. And I know you will provide. We don't just pray for our physical needs either. We also pray for our Spiritual needs, like the forgiveness of sins. Forgive us our debts as we forgive, or as we also have forgiven our debtors. While all who actually follow Jesus are certainly children of God, we are all imperfect children of God, right? I haven't re- even gotten close to that like level of perfection yet. Not even, not even getting close to it. And so why, though, would, would we be told to pray for forgiveness like when we were saved didn't God justify us when we were saved didn't he forgive us of all past sins and we are permanently forgiven forever nothing can separate us from the love of God even even sin in our own life why would we continue to pray for forgiveness 
I think this is an invitation to us to clear the air. It's an invitation to us to approach the Father because we have a tendency to hang on to our sin. God doesn't have a tendency to hang on to your sin. We have a tendency to hang on to our sin along with the guilt and shame that it brings. And as that adds up and builds up and collects, we begin to be impacted in our relationship with the Lord. Have you ever done something or, or had a period of time where you've been walking in some kind of sin or this habitual pattern has been going on and you're just like, ah, I should pray, but I just don't feel it right now. I just, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel, ah, oh, goodness, it's going to be uncomfortable getting close to God again. Well, here's the invitation. We come and pray, forgive us our debts so we clean the slate. Guilt and shame dealt with, done. And then we come to the Father with a clean and clear conscience. Lastly, when we pray like Jesus taught us, we acknowledge our, oh, I don't want to cover that yet. I want to go back just a little bit. There's this little part in there. Forgive us our debts, which we like that part. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me my debts. As we have forgiven our debtors. Do we like that part? Not so much. This is a reminder to us. When we come to the Lord and we say, forgive us our debts, just as we have forgiven our debtors, what, 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 what was happening there is there's this little reminder that we begin to look at those who have wronged us and sinned against us through the lens of the grace of God. The same way that we need forgiveness, the same way we want forgiveness, the same way we need the slate to be wiped clean, that's how we begin to view other people. God, forgive me as I'm going to forgive them. Forgive me as I do forgive them. I view now my Christian brothers and sisters through the lens of God's grace, and it prompts us to be quick to forgive. Now I'm going to move on. Lastly, we pray... When we pray like Jesus taught us, we acknowledge our need for God to protect us from the schemes of the enemy. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the eagle one, or the evil, evil one. This is not meant to suggest that God would otherwise leave you to be tempted. Like if you don't pray, God, don't lead me into temptation, then he might. He might throw you into temptation. I, I was walking out of the first service and somebody says, you know, uh, I, I've heard someone pray before, uh, lead me not into temptation because I have a good job finding it. I do a good job finding it myself, <laughs> right? Temptation will come. It's around us all the time. The point of this prayer is, God, don't let me be given over in my affections to these temptations. Don't let me be overcome by these temptations. It's not that God will tempt you. It's that temptations are coming, and we need God to sustain us through them. We need him to anchor us. We need him to hold us back from those temptations and to keep us from going down those roads. And then in his power, Lord, protect us from the evil one. And I know this translation, the ESV, doesn't say the evil one, but it's definitely the evil one. Uh, if, you, if you go back and, and look at the original structure in the Greek. Protect us from the schemes of the enemy because he would like nothing more than to ruin our lives. He would love nothing more than to wreck your family. He would love nothing more than to turn you against each other. He would love nothing more than to turn us as a church against each other. Because then he gets to wreck our witness. Then he gets to people to step back just like they're doing already this week and say, ha, see I told you there's something wrong with those Christians. See I told you they're off. See I told you they're just a bunch of hypocrites. So Lord keep us Deliver us from the evil one. So where do we go from here? 
We're going to make a hard shift now. We've looked at the Lord's Prayer. What do we do with it? If we want to enjoy communion with the Father, for him to realign our hearts with his, for us to express our dependence on him and have him foster and grow a righteousness of the heart within us when we pray, what can we do? And there are lots of ways to implement the Lord's Prayer, but I, I, I wanted to give you three really tangible kind of like take-home examples because it, it feels like what Jesus is giving us here is something that's very hands-on. He's not giving us like a deep theological treatise or anything like this. He's saying, here's what you do, right? So I, I wanted us to have a, an opportunity here for just a minute to think through some ways that we can implement the Lord's Prayer in our lives. And what I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to go home and pray the Lord's Prayer 18 times so that you'll you know, be okay with God so that he'll start to transform you. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying Christians throughout the centuries have found the Lord's Prayer extremely useful to, a, to bring their prayer life to life, right? Like to breathe fresh air into their prayer lives. So I just want to give you three ways that we can implement the Lord's Prayer into our day-to-day life. The first is to use it to fuel your prayer life. I don't know about you, but when life is hectic, I can really struggle to quiet my mind and sit still and pray. Um, it's not that I don't pray. It's that the anxieties and the issues that I'm facing come rushing in really, really quickly. And I either get in a big hurry because I, I've got something to do right after this. I've got to get moving for the day. Or it begins to choke out my ability to pray in a meaningful way. Right? Like I just get so distracted and so tangled up on the inside. And I can't commune with the Father like that. Well, the Lord's Prayer is fuel for our prayers. When you can't find the words, when you don't have the vocabulary, when you can't focus and your mind is swirling, when you simply can't calm down enough to really engage with the Lord, pull this passage out. Better yet, memorize it. You probably have it memorized already, right? And pray it. Pray it line by line. Pray it thoughtfully. Pray it slowly. And as you pray a line from the prayer, our Father in heaven, use that as a springboard. Pause there. Don't jump onto the next line. Our Father in heaven. And pray from that. God, you're our Father. You're the Father of the family of God. And you're, you're, our, you're our perfect Father. Where, whereas many of us may not have had a, a good picture of a loving dad, right, growing up. God, you're a good Father and you're fixing that. I see your grace and I see your kindness and I see your love and your gentleness towards us. You're a good father, but you're also in heaven. Like you're majestic, you're powerful, you're strong, you have all authority and all sovereignty. Thank you for making me your child. So it's a, it's a springboard into your prayer. It's not just recite it, it's a, it, it, it carries your prayers, right? It kind of gives you, like I said a minute ago, vocabulary for your conversation with God. Now I could go through the rest of the lines and, and tell you about how to do that. But I've got a video from John Piper that I wanted to show just real quick as an example of how you could take the entire Lord's Prayer and use it as a springboard for your prayer life. So it's about four minutes long, and then I'll, I'll close up with the last two points after the video. Father, who art in heaven, you are majestic and merciful. 
you are far above us and ready to come to us. You have plans for the whole earth, even for the universe. And yet you care for us, even in the smallest details. You are King and our Father. Hallowed be your name. Make your great and holy name to be honored and treasured above all things, especially deep in our own hearts and everywhere in the world. Your kingdom come. Cause your sovereign authority and wisdom to hold sway at all times in every place on earth and in the deepest parts of our own souls. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Grant that your all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy will would be done throughout the world the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven and make it a reality in each of us. Give us this day our daily bread. We are not asking for riches, but for enough to live. We want to be healthy and to have a mind and body that work. Sustain us that we might accomplish what you call us to do. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We are sinners and need to be forgiven every day. We know we don't deserve it. We ask for mercy. Forgive us. Draw us into the freedom of your love, the love you gave when your son died in our place. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We don't want to go on sinning. Keep us back from the entanglements of overpowering temptation. Guard us from Satan, from all his works and all his ways. Grant us to walk in holiness before you all our days. We pray this in the name of the one who taught us to pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I do have to warn you, I, I tried this, and um, I closed my eyes, and I didn't see, like, epic drone shots with that really sweet music playing in the background, but the premise is the same, even though you don't get some of the awesome audiovisual effects that go along with that prayer. Uh, two more ways that we can implement, implement the Lord's Prayer in our life. 
Second is to uh, punctuate your day with prayer, right? Like begin your day with the Lord's Prayer. Do you, be, do you wake up pressed for time, not sure what to pray, not really sure what to do? Pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, slowly, thoughtfully, expand on it if you have time, absolutely. But punctuate your day with it. You, you're going to, to work now. Let's say you're in heavy traffic. It's very difficult. You can pray the Lord's Prayer. Let's say you get to work. You have a little thing with a coworker that you're just like, oh, this person Go sit in your office and pray the Lord's Prayer before something bad happens, right? Uh, you have a difficult meeting, you pray the Lord's Prayer before it or after it. You blow up at your spouse or at your kids, pray the Lord's Prayer. It's just a, a, a touch point that sort of anchors you throughout your day, returning you again and again to the good Father who loves us, the one who wants to transform our hearts, the one who wants to, to change us. So it can, it can really uh, liven up your prayer life by, by being a touch point throughout the day to bring you back to the Lord. And then uh, finally, you can sort of structure your week with it. You can uh, give shape to your week. If you have struggled to uh, have a good and, and regular rhythm of prayer, you can take one line or one part of the prayer just throughout the week and let each line of that prayer be uh, your theme for the day. So on Sunday, our Father who's in heaven. On Monday, hallowed be your name. On Tuesday, your kingdom come. On Wednesday, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On Thursday, give us this day our daily bread. On uh, Friday, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. On Saturday, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And just let that be a theme for you throughout your week. Let it, let it guide your prayers. And if you want or need to pray for something else that day, fantastic. Pray for that thing. But if you wake up and you're like, I just don't know where to start. I don't know the words to say. Then, yeah, there you go. Start with the Lord's Prayer and use that to give shape to a, uh, a prayer life for your week. And if we'll, if we'll do this, and it doesn't necessarily have to be one of these things, but if we will take the Lord's teaching on prayer and take it seriously and implement that into our lives and allow it to have his way and allow the Lord to transform us through prayer, I think we're going to see um, greater intimacy with the Father, greater joy in the Father, and I think that will ripple out into our congregation, into our fellowship with one another. I think it will begin to transform us. It will... Um, yeah, realign our hearts with God's, and it will uh, be daily worship as we express ourselves and our needs to Him. Um, here at the end, I would like to do something a little bit different. We, we're not strangers to closing our services with prayer together, great breaking down into groups to pray together, um, but I want to do that a little bit different. I'm going to have the Lord's Prayer up on the screen behind us, and I'd like you to get in a group of six or eight or ten or twenty. I don't, I don't really care, uh, but just get into a group, and we're going we're gonna to pray it line by line together. And if you're not super comfortable praying, but you want to participate, you can just say the line and move on, our Father who is in heaven. So that's how the first person would start. And you can either elaborate, use that as a springboard to continue to pray, or you can just say that and move on. Then the next person can pray, and they can either pray that last line, our Father who's in heaven, and elaborate on that if they want to, or they can move on to the next line. The point, is, uh, the point in doing this is for us to be able to practice taking the Lord's Prayer and, and doing it, making it a part of our lives, bringing it in, uh, bringing it home to, home to our hearts. And so we're going to take about five minutes to do that, and then I'll close this here in just a moment.
All right, I'm going to go ahead and close our service. I'm uh, very sorry if I'm interrupting your prayer. You can keep praying uh, after we close here, but uh, I just want to pray for us real quick, and then we'll be done. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray this for your glory and in your name, and so that you might realign our hearts with yours and as an act of worship to you, King Jesus. Amen. All right, have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Have a great Sunday.